This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Equity Minds. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome back to another episode of Equity Mates. We are back in the studio. We've both had a bit of a break overseas, which has been nice, Ren. Yes, with me. yes. You're looking very tan. I'm just a bit redder. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But yes, we have been on holidays and uh, we are back from our six episode arc of Is There Money In? with yeah. Ed Cavalli. Uh, a lot of fun uh, and some very interesting topics. But we're back with Classic Equity Mates. We're back with an Ask an Advisor episode. Yes, that's right, Ren. We had a great conversation with Glenn Hare from Fox and Hare, answering many questions that had come in from the Equity Mates community. We covered uh, superannuation, we covered investing, psychology of money, plenty of stuff covered in this episode. So firstly, a thank you to everyone who sent questions in. These are fast becoming a very popular episode amongst the Equity Mates community for good reason. Mm. If you want to ask a question, ask at equitymates.com is the email address. Send us your question. We'll either ask it on one of these episodes of the podcast or in our Ask an Advisor email, uh, which you can sign up to at the Equity Mates website. But Bryce, before we get into the show, we should introduce Glenn. He's got a fascinating uh, career. Before launching Fox and Hare, he was at Macquarie Bank for more than a decade. He worked in a number of roles from institutional broker to wealth management. He was actually one of the youngest directors in the company at the time when he left in mid-2017. He then went on to co-found Fox and & Hare and has been voted among the top 50 advisors in Australia three years running. That's the beauty of the platform we've built. We get to speak to some of the best advisors in Australia. That's it, Ren. And I certainly learned a lot in this episode. So, I uh, appreciate everyone sending their questions in because I'm I'm getting a lot out of it. Uh, a quick reminder. Yeah, that- we, are, we got you to rate yourself out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> ah, and yes, anyway. So, <laughs> uh, just a reminder that uh, while we are licensed, we're not aware of personal circumstances and neither is Glenn. So, any information in this show is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only. Now, Bryce... Two quick things before we get into it. First of all, we released a book this week. Yeah. Don't Stress, Just Invest, available in all good bookstores or online booksellers, wherever you buy books. Check it out. And if you enjoy this podcast, if you want to take the next step on your investing journey, we hope that book helps. And then finally, uh, the first question you ask, you obviously uh, had a little bit of inspiration while you were overseas because you're introducing a would you rather question. When you told me that you want to start doing would you rather, I thought it would be financial. Would you rather stocks or property? 
Bitcoin or Ethereum. Nah. But no, that is not what you're going for. So if people are wondering uh, about the first question, this is Bryce's a- holiday inspiration. <laughs> it's just a classic opener. Anyway, we'll leave it there and uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation with Glenn. Glenn, welcome to Equity Mates. Thank you for having me. So before we rip in, where I'm going to introduce a new segment, Would You Rather, for all of our experts. A little nervous about this one, but we'll roll with it. Uh, it's not like the drinking <laughs> Would You Rather yet, but to kick off, would you rather have the ability to see 10 minutes into the future or 150 years into the future? Wow, that is big. Uh, it's good. It's good. I Can I pick when I'm looking into the future? Like, all right, now I want to look. I think it's just at all times you have the ability to be like, I can see 10 minutes into the future or 150 years. I'm I'm going to go 10 minutes. Uh, I think 150 years would freak me out too much. True, true. (laughs) 10 minutes would be enough. I can make some smart decisions in that time and then then move on. What about you, Ren? (laughs) Well, so I was thinking uh, 150 years, you would be able to see what the world looks like and invest accordingly. Yeah. And I was like, okay, there's some money to be made that way. But if you could see 10 minutes into the future, you could get to 10 minutes before the end of a footy game and see who was going to win totally. and, and, then, and then live bet. Well, and so there's money to be made that way. I guess well. the nuance here is can you action anything by seeing in, in front that far? Do you know what I mean? Like can you change the future? By betting on it? Well, if you can see 10 minutes in front and you're like, I don't, I don't like that, can you – do something about it like you're in a you social might be able situation. To, yeah. Oh, it's like, oh, shit, I'm going to be oh, hit shit. by a car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. If all my research watching sci-fi movies is anything to go by, you just don't want to change too much. Yeah, right? So, if you ever get the opportunity, <laughs> just don't don't change too yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see 150 years into the future and everything's great and then you do something, you look ahead and it's terrible and then you know you yeah. cause that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a anyway. documentary with Adam Sandler called Click that's got something along the lines <laughs> <Yeah>. of that. <laughs> Anyway, we have plenty of questions to get through today in our Ask an Advisor episode. And uh, thank you to all of the community members, Equity Mates community, who have sent in questions for Glenn. We've got a bunch to cover, crossing superannuation, investing, and then a whole heap of general. So we'll start on the general. And we're talking about this offline, uh, Glenn, and it's the conversation around, you know, is an advisor worth it? Like, that's Mm. what it comes down to at the end of the day. There's this, um, you know, this idea that, well, it's known that getting advice is objectively expensive. Mm. And for us, it's understanding when is it worth outlaying that cash? Mm. So, I'm going to start with a potentially a controversial view. Great. And <laughs> so, so, I think the advice industry um, is not articulating the value advi- of advice for a younger generation as well as they could be. Uh, and the reason I say that is the advice industry is very much focused on pre and post retirees. And, and that's not a bad thing, right? Like there's a huge opportunity where people that are looking to move into that phase of their life, you need to be really conscious of how, how, do, you, how do you do that? Um, and we were talking earlier, like the average age of an advice client. So someone that has a financial advisor is 58. So the whole premise behind what, what we do at Fox and Hare is work with a demographic that we feel the advice industry has broadly left behind. So, our youngest member is 20, she just turned 24. Our older members are probably in their mid 40s. So, we only work with those that are in that accumulation phase. So, majority, probably majority would be in their 30s, I'd say. And in terms of the the cost, you know, I, I'm really conscious of the fact it is an investment, but, but I, I'd really encourage people to consider it as an investment. And the reason I say that is because some of the decisions that you make in your 20s and 30s will have huge compounding impact on what your 30s, 40s, 
and beyond looks like. And I want to be conscious that uh, I'm not saying that all we need to do is plan for the future. We want to do the cool in, in the short term, but we also want to make sure that we're we're making clear progress towards the medium and the long term as well. So, you know, an example might be if, if you're living at home, you know, just started your corporate career, earning good money, uh, you've got two options. You can either spend it all and blow it on stuff that you don't really care about, or you can start making some really smart decisions that are going to seriously set you up for, for the medium and long term. And so then just to close that out, you know, part of the question is around at what point is it worth going to see an advisor? And if and you know, is there an, an, a number in terms of disposable income or free mm. free cash flow where you believe it's like we can make a difference or a meaningful impact given the cash flow that you have? Yeah. So I'll, I'll answer that in two ways. So we were um, we were really chat. We held a number of focus groups before launching the business, and we had a room full of our ideal members, and half the half the room said put your fees on the website. Otherwise, I'm not going to reach out because I have no idea what I'm going to get charged. The other half of the room said, well, if you put that fee on the website and I don't really know what it is I'm going to get for that, I'm not going to reach out. So, we, we, went with the, we went with the not putting our fees on the website. So, when someone reaches out, we have a conversation in the first chat with them, which is, which is free. In terms of where we believe we can show value, if you're in a position where you're a- a- able to save or potentially invest around $2,000 per month, then we can show value. And I'm very confident in saying that because that that amount of money, uh, you can, you can again, you can, in terms of what you do with those funds, it can have quite a considerable longer-term impact. And another example might be, we've had a number of members reach out with that have accumulated some bad debt how you define bad debt, whether that be, you know, a car loan, credit cards, personal loans, etc. One example, one member reached out to us and had $103,000 worth of credit card debt. Oh, he was paying $18,300 per year in interest. Oh, my God. And when he first signed up, he said, Glenn, I'm about to pay my fee on the credit card that you're about to help me try and pay off. And my response to that was, if we don't work together, where are you going to be in three years' time? And he said, I'm going to be in the same position. So we've worked with together for about four years. He's completely debt free and he's just bought himself a one and a half million dollar apartment with his partner. Wow. So good case study. <laughs> really good. And the, the advice the advice was simple. It was a really clear Don't use credit. <laughs> Don't use credit. Um, he's certainly changed his relationship with credit cards, but the advice was a cash flow strategy. But it was someone to hold him accountable to it, but it's also someone to share with him what the picture looks like beyond the debt. And that can sometimes be really hard to see if you are in that fairly lonely position, I would say. So, anyway, I'm going a bit off tangent, wow. but- um, No, it's good. It's good. It's, it's good to have that number in mind, I think, for a lot of people who are in that position of being like, should I, shouldn't I? Do I have enough money? Is it worth it? Yeah, totally. having that number, from your point of view, is, is handy. You don't yeah. need to be old and rich. If you've got some disposable income to make some smart decisions, get cracking. Mm. And if you're on your way to getting to that- $2,000 a month free cash flow. Yeah. The good news is you can send your questions to ask at equitymates.com and we're going to put them to advisors that we get on the show. And uh, in this case, we've got a number of questions, um, as Bryce said, a few specifically around superannuation and a number of general questions from the Equitymates community. But we wanted to start, uh, well, I guess we wanted to turn the tables a little bit and have you ask us some questions. Mm. Let's say Bryce and I go to your website, uh, sign up for the free session. Yeah. And uh, we come to you. What are the sort of questions that you or any of your advisors uh, would be asking us as uh, potential clients to sort of 
I guess get a gauge of our financial situation. Great. So, um, I've got three go-to. Okay. I'm giving away all my secrets here. Nice. But I've got, well, I've got that's, three, that's, that's the, the point of these episodes. <laughs> yes. So, I've got, I've got three go-to. So, first, um, do you have any financial frustrations? Interesting. That feels like a, an emotional question. Well, it is an emotional question. Financial frustrations. Okay. Um, housing affordability in Sydney mm-hmm. and the ability to afford a house. That's frustrating. That's the same thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any? Right. Uh, yeah, ha- housing is is the big stressor. I think. Well, not stressor, but frustration. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, greatest financial aspirations. Um, the ability to to own a house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fairly common one. The ability to feel the, the ability to um, rely on my assets to generate enough income so that I don't have to rely on a paycheck from someone else. Yeah. And do you know what that figure is? No. As big as possible. As big as possible. <laughs> I, I've never done the number. The, I've never crunched it. To the, yeah. I'm just in the let's just get it as big as possible right now phase. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would change. Like mm. your circumstances would change. You have a kid, all of a sudden that number becomes a lot bigger. Yeah. Yeah, and the aspiration ones, you know, again, the the, the general conversations when, when when reaching out to an advisor is, what are your goals and aspirations? And for someone that's in their twenties, thirties, even forties, fifties, like it's really hard to define what your goals are. And the reality is, we often then see people put decisions around their financial well being or, or the, the financial decisions they make on the back burner because they're not really sure what they're driving towards. Whereas if we think about our, you know, our our careers and and our businesses and our things like that like we, we know what successful look like we know if we've had a good month we know if we've had a good quarter we know if we're hitting our kpis we often don't put that same lens when thinking about our financial goals um, so we often encourage members to think about what position would you like to be in what are some of the things you'd like to consider doing so, so, so potentially softening the, the, the language and oh, the, the, the theme around aspirations and some of the key kind of responses that we often get, I want financial security, I want financial stability, I want financial freedom, I want financial flexibility. The, the, the lead on question, and that certainly doesn't come out in the first conversation is then, well, okay, well, how do we define that for you? But anyway, the third question that I would ask in a, in a, in a first chat is how would you rate your overall financial world in terms of driving towards those aspirations. 10, you're nailing it. You're absolutely killing it. You're all over it. Zero, you're the other side of the spectrum. Um, this is And this is for me probably why I would want to go to an advisor because the other two, you know, I think for me, yeah, it, it I don't know, six – Six. Okay. You, you once told me on this podcast that you were you couldn't save anymore. That you had perfect cash flow. <laughs> I think you misconstrued. What I think I we'll, said. we'll look I through think, the archives. I think, yeah. <laughs> I think for me though, it's like going to see an advisor is where I'm not fully versed and want to know more on like how should I be maximizing my cash flow when it comes to like super contributions and the first home buyer scheme yeah. thing and insurance and all those. Th- all those things that I feel like the saving part and the cash flow part mm. to Ren's point, I think I'm confident with. Mm. But it's then like, am I with what's left? Am I actually really maximizing this mm. for the goals that, you know, totally. it's not just setting it up and, and putting it into investments kind of thing? Yeah. And six isn't a bad score, right? You're like, yeah, cool. I'm kind of, I'm in the middle. But my, my challenge to you would be what's going to get you to a seven? What's going to get you to an eight? Like, what's where? Where's the shortfall? 
And whether someone responds eight or they say, oh, I'm, I'm probably one, the, the, my, my, my lead-on question is always the same. Okay, you're one, what's going to get you to five? You're six, what's going to get you to seven? That's, that's the exciting bit. That's the, that's the sweet spot where we can then delve into that and go, okay, cool, this is what's going to then enable you to move forward. Here's a follow-on question then. How do you know if you're getting bad advice? Oh, that is a good question. <laughs> <laughs> mm, that is a good question. How do you like, there's know? There's a lot of trust implied in, in totally, and it's like with like we're in a fortunate position, I think, that where we would go in with a level of base understanding. Yeah. Of, given the work that we're doing on this show. Yeah. But someone who's going in with a one. Yeah. Out of ten, we we had someone DM us. We did a three part series on superannuation. Yeah. And they DM'd us and they said, uh, really like the series. I have a financial advisor. I'm in my 20s and my advisor had 60% of my super in cash. Mm. And like that is a classic example of bad advice. But to Bryce's yeah. point, there's a level of trust. General there. advice only, but maybe look into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, really, really good call out. And it is a trusted relationship, right? Like, you you, you know, you're, handing, you're paying fees, you're, you're expecting to get you know, good, good advice. Um, how, how do you know if you're getting bad advice? It needs to feel right and the advisor needs to explain to you very clearly how this is the right advice and putting you in a better position. And really conscious of the fact, as you kind of alluded to, Bryce, everyone reaches out to us with very different degrees of financial literacy. You know, one of the things that we're very passionate about is empowering our members through education. So, I think, and I'm hoping this doesn't happen as much anymore, but an advisor would sit across the table from from their client and, and try and not give too much away because they didn't want to, they wanted to be seen as the expert. I know everything, like you just need to trust what, what I'm telling you. We we completely flip that on its head. We believe that the more that our members understand their strategy, the more likely they are going to then stick to the strategy because they understand the implications of the strategy and then inevitably achieve their goals. So, if, you don't, if you're seeing an advisor and you don't understand the advice that's being put in front of you, challenge it and make sure that you're asking questions constantly until you get to to the answer that you want. Yeah. Well, let's get to um, the some questions from our uh, community. Um, and a reminder that if you do have a question that you want us to ask on the next episode of Ask an Advisor, uh, ask at equitymates.com is the email address. We've been speaking about cash flow a little bit. So, let's start with this one. When talking to clients, what do you suggest in terms of cash flow best practice? Similar to, to a number of the other guests that you've had. So, having you know, buckets with accounts for specific purposes. Maybe I'll answer that by um, touching on a, a, a few mistakes that I Please, see people yeah. make. So, one of the big ones is they're just saving whatever's left over. And if you're saving whatever's left over, then that's going to give you absolutely no insight or clarity as to when you're actually going to be able to achieve your goal. Mm. Like if you're, if you're wanting to buy a million dollar place and you need a 10% deposit, you need a hundred grand. If you know that you're saving $2,000 per month or $3,000 per month, it's going to be really clear as to when you're going to be able to get there. If you're just saving whatever's left over or putting money in a savings account and then subsequently taking it back out, <laughs> that's going to give you no clarity as to when you're actually going to, to get there. That's that's certainly um, one that I see, see quite regularly. That, that's, is that the, the pay yourself first concept? Exactly right. Where it's like when you get paid, there's a set amount that goes into your savings account yep. before you start spending. Yeah, yeah automate it again, very similar to, to, to in line with your, your philosophy around automate as much as possible, set yourself a weekly amount, 
quarantine your fixed costs in, in a separate account, save uh, in, a, in, in a separate account, potentially with a different bank. So if you're down at the pub on a Friday and you need another bottle of rosé, it's a little bit uh, harder to kind of get mm-hmm. those those funds funds out. Although well, everything with instant transfers these days. I know, days, that yeah. does well, make it a little bit more challenging. <laughs> Yesterday we looked at the top savings account interest rates in Australia and the number one is uh, I can't remember the name it's of like the bank it's like Maybe no, yeah. no I can't maybe it's Maybe. Bank. Bank. Yeah. yeah and the rule I know what it might be but I'm always nervous about saying specific oh really <laughs> anyway, we're not nervous the rules around the rules around this were obviously like minimum deposit blah blah blah, blah but also yeah. It wasn't available on an app and um, you couldn't – it wasn't. It also wasn't available on internet banking. Yeah, so right. So, it was just like – So, they have branches? I can't remember what it was, but it was like super locked up. Like, you're not able to go down on the pub, mm. to the pub on, a, right. on, a, okay. on a Friday and start transferring out for another bottle of rosé. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, start looking at term deposits. So, that's not something that we were very interested in about 12 months ago. But mm-hmm. given where interest rates are now, if you want to lock away those funds for a period, then yeah. you can get some really attractive rates on those yeah. those accounts. Although, won't, didn't you look at term deposits and at least from the major banks, the term deposit rates weren't even yeah. as good as like- it's still better to have it in the- the if you've got the ING account? savings account. Totally. If you're better. doing the 17 transfers and you've got the three <laughs> yeah, cards yeah, and you, yeah, you yeah. tap it twice <laughs> a day and, <laughs> and all that kind yeah. of stuff. No so rules on terms of it, it, de- it depends, yeah, right? Yeah. Like if, if any game, what's the cost of having that money at call and then taking the money yeah. back out versus having it in a, in a, in a deposit, right? Like yeah. I, did, I did accounting at uni. I genuinely wish I did psychology. Um I think that would have the conversations we have about money is is is, is very much head, yeah. kind of uh, I guess emotional base, which is why a lot of my questions are, how do you feel? Yeah. So then, secondly, speaking of interest rates, with interest rates going up, is there such a thing as good debt, or is it all just bad now? Mm, good question. So controversial view: interest rates aren't high; they're just where they were about a decade ago. Um, we we have come out. I know, and I know that that might sound a bit blind, but I know that there's been considerable hikes and that that naturally is having quite a, quite an impact on a lot of households. But, you know, in terms of good debt, there are, without turning this into kind of a tax chart, like there are advantages around having negative geared properties. So, you know, paying interest that reduces the, the amount of tax that you, have, you pay. But at one point, you want to be debt free and uh, that the, the the concept of being debt free again does come up in conversations a lot and uh, and I I'll, I'll always challenge that based on where they're at and what their goals are so if you're in your mid 20s and you've just bought a property and your whole focus is not just on being debt free I'd argue that well then what happens when you turn 40 and you're debt free then do you start investing um, so it's about taking a bit more of a balanced approach. Whereas if you are looking to, you know, pull back on work and this is the forever home, then again the focus may be more on that debt piece. So there still is some aspects of good debt, for want of a better word. Like you're not going to buy a place in, in in Australia without some degree of debt. I would would argue. Yeah. Um, so you could class that as good debt, but be really, you know, when I ask, um, our, you know, some of the people I speak to, oh, what's the interest rate on your car loan? What's the interest rate on your, um, you know, your credit cards or your personal loan? Often they have to go away and check. So, make sure you're really conscious Across of it. what it, you are actually paying before you make any decisions around how you allocate that surplus cash flow. So, uh, we had a question around insurances. Mm. Um, 
So the question basically was, is all this insurance really worth it? Yeah, that was <laughs> literally I, it. I know that's a bit of a piece of string because it's so dependent on uh, your life circumstances and stuff like that. But yeah, I will ask it generally. And then um, maybe if we drill in, I know we're going to talk about superannuation a little bit later, but yeah. maybe if we generally talk about insurances and then we talk about super insurances. In yeah, particular. totally. So, and I'm going to answer this through the lens of who we work with. So, most of our members are gay in 20s, 30s, 40s. So, fairly early on in their career, generally speaking, fairly fairly healthy. Um, the biggest mistake I see people make when it comes to insurances is they look into their, more often than not, their super fund to work out what insurance they have when they're trying to claim. So, up until that point, they have no idea. They're like, oh, I think I have something um, which they are paying for from their super. And then if something does happen, only at that point do they then actually care about what it is looking for. So, before you make any decisions around super, understand what you currently have and what you're paying for, what you are covered for and what you're not, not covered for. In terms of the key triggers that we say when insurance certainly becomes quite a conversation with our members, first, when they're looking to start a family. Second, when they've got debt, so typically purchased a property. And also, people often, when thinking about insurance, go to worst-case scenario. So, they think of life insurance or total and permanent disability, never able to work again. In terms of my experience, again, reflecting on the demographic that we work with, most the all the, the claims that we have assisted with have been income protection. Mm, okay. So, uh, I'll, I'll give you a really good example. One of our members, um, pretty fit dude, in, he's 33, he's a cyclist and he was hit by a car. So, he was off work for three months uh, full-time and then he was off work uh, and then he went back to work part-time for another two months. What that meant was the income protection, so income was being paid to him on a monthly basis while he was off work so he could pay continue to pay the mortgage and it didn't have a huge impact on on his household cash flow so don't always just think of insurance as worst case scenario like we insure our dogs we insure our cars like we're traveling like oh we've got to get travel insurance if you don't have an income you can't pay for any of your other insurances so just be be conscious of that and so when you say the trigger is going to debt that's main not going to debt but like a mortgage you're going to mm. go get a mortgage that you're saying you should definitely consider income protection Yeah, so how are you going to pay the mortgage? Always think about what's the backup plan. Like taking out an insurance policy is essentially transferring the risk. Like even if you don't have a house and a property rather or a mortgage or or you have kids or anything, if you're renting and something were to happen to you and you weren't able to work, let's say for six months, what's the backup plan? Can you move back? Emergency fund. Can you can (laughs) you move back with with the parents? Would you? You know what? What's the what's the decision there? So insurance then enables you once that kicks in to then for you to be a bit more in control in terms of what that looks like. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but in your superannuation, those are the three types of insurances you can get: income protection, total and permanent disability, and life life insurance. insurance. Yep. And then outside of your um, super, the obvious one is health insurance yep. because of the Medicare levy once you're earning over a certain amount. Yep. And then it gets more expensive with that lifetime health cover loading as well. Totally. Yep. Outside of health insurance, are there any other insurances that mm. uh, you see clients sort of at our age, early 30s, late 20s? Yeah. yeah. So, the, the, so, there's income protection, total permanent disability and life insurance. There is a um, personal life policy that you, uh, you can't... Personal insurance policy that you can't get through 
superannuation, and that's called trauma or critical illness. So, this was actually developed by an oncologist, which I believe is a cancer specialist. So, what um, this particular um, doctor found was people were suffering a, a critical illness event such as cancer. However, they weren't able to claim on their total and permanent disability because they weren't totally and permanently disabled. They would, in fact, be treated and then go back to work. So, they didn't meet the definition of total and permanent disability. So, there is another policy, critical illness or, or, or trauma, which covers you for the main reason why people cover a uh, claim on that is, is, uh, is cancer. So, it's a lump sum amount, but it's paid out if something shit happens, but you do go back to work. So, you're not totally and permanently disabled. Just... No, I'm just it's a minefield. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's move on from insurance. Like yeah, my, yeah, my, yeah. my main advice, though, is just make sure you understand what you do have, what you are paying for it, what you are covered for, and what you're not covered for. Nice. That's key. All right, Glenn, the next one has come in from Emily. She says she's in need of a new car. Her work offers novated leasing. Mm. The question is, is it worth it or should she look at a car loan with a reasonable interest rate? Good question. So, I'm... I'm not a car person. Uh, my advice is similar to our friend Scott Pape, buy the cheapest car your ego can afford. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I, uh, and I, I say that respectfully. Some people need cars, like, you know, if you've got a young family, things like that. Um, but for me, when I was living in the city, I just used to go get really cheap, um, didn't have to worry about when it broke down, all of that kind of stuff. In, in terms of the option, so Novated Lease, yeah, it, it can have some tax advantages, but also acknowledge like if you buy, let's just say you go out and buy a $30,000 car, don't just think about the cost of the interest that you're going to pay or the tax that you're going to save. That $30,000 car in two years time is going to be a $20,000 car. So, I also want you to take in that, that 10000 depreciation cost into account when thinking about purchasing purchasing that car. So, th- there, there are pros and cons for- There are pros for the Novated Lease. Be conscious of, again, what, what rate you are paying on that. There are s- some tax advantages. But for me, my wife personally has always just been pay for a car from cash. As cheap as possible. As cheap as possible. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So, we had uh, one question here that uh, Bryce and I don't have a lot of experience with. It was around school fees, mm. um, which- Let's just say we have zero experience. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. I've heard how high they are. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we had a question around, is it a good or a bad idea to invest in bonds uh, mm. for school fees? And I guess there's probably two parts to this. One is if you've got young kids and you're looking ahead yep. at school fees. And the other is if your kids are- at school. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So, most of our members, their kids are not at high school because, again, they're 20s, 30s, 40s. However, chatting with advisors that, that work with, I guess, an older demographic where their kids are at high school, um, given that you can pay 10, 15, 20, 30, $40,000 per year per child per year for school fees, what they have seen most of their clients do is redraw on mortgages. So, they spend wow. all of this time oh paying off gosh. their mortgage and they then need to fork out $80,000 per year, which over a six-year period, if it is just high school, is, you know, half a million bucks. They're redrawing on their mortgages that they've just spent the last decade trying to pay off. Mm. Wow. So, we have conversations with our members around schooling even before they've conceived their first child. 
So, and the reason why we do this is because we want to understand if private school is important for them. And there's, there's no right, right or wrong. Some of our members really comfortable with public. Some of our members, they, they, want, they want to send their kids to the school that they went to. So, what we do for those uh, members that have kids, uh, have um, are wanting to send their kids to private school, we would definitely consider an investment bond. There's the main advantage of utilizing an investment bond or an education bond is tax. So, if you are in the highest tax bracket, any investment or even cash you have in a bank account naturally is going to be taxed at your highest at the highest marginal tax rate. Whereas using an investment bond or an education bond, it's actually capped at thirty percent. And you can also then take those funds out after 10 years tax-free. Um, and it doesn't actually need to be for education purposes. It can actually just be um, for, for, for any Anything. purpose. Wow. The, the caveat to that is that 10-year period, right? It's, you, you can take the funds out. You then lose the tax advantage. Right. So, you'll have to then, if you're on the highest marginal tax rate, you'd have to then pay that top-up tax of the, of the 17%. So... It's a really, really good way to almost start prepaying those school fees. And the most common feedback I get from members is when we talk, bring up the conversation around private schooling is they're not sure. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but they want to be in a position that if they want to, mm. they financially can. So, that's where an investment bond still can be quite a favourable consideration because even if the time comes and you're really comfortable with a local, local public school you can then use those funds for, for other purposes. How do you even buy an education bond? So, there's different, uh, there's certain companies that, um, so it's a structure. Right. An education bond is a, is a type of structure in terms of the underlying investments. There's usually a menu of about 20, 30 different, different funds. Right. right. Uh, yeah. so within, not, within that, within so that. It's not, bond. it's not a listed product or? No, no. Just, so, there are like specialized providers that you go to? Correct. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Do you need to do it through an advisor? No, I don't believe so. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it's a whole world that I just don't have a lot of experience with. Totally. And and it's a a really cool one to look at, not just for that education purposes, right, but just reducing your taxable income. For for a lot of those, for for a lot of listeners that are PAYG, you know, um, um, it it can be really challenging to look at ways to to minimise tax, but this is a way where you can invest and uh, do it in in a tax-effective environment. Nice. Cool. Love it. All right. We've got a couple on superannuation. So, the first one, Glenn, is, is there a limit to after-tax super contributions? There is. Um, so, there's concessional and non-concessional. So, concessional is where you, you, you're able to claim a tax deduction. Non-concessional is after-tax. But you, So, you can put those funds into super. And I believe the bring forward, I think it's uh, you can bring forward around or contribute about $100,000 post-tax now um, and if you haven't done so you can bring forward I think the, the last three years so make a one-off contribution of $300,000 um, but then uh, for the next two years um, you, you won't be able to do Zero. so so that might have increased so definitely check the numbers around that given again who, who we work with most of our members are starting families buying properties putting more money into super beyond what they can claim a deduction for isn't super front of mind for them yeah super front of mind um, <laughs> but but yeah you, you can put in additional amounts but just double check that yeah yeah nice the other question we have about super is one of the most common questions I think we get, which mm. is the should I be investing in or outside of super and what are the considerations? Mm. Specifically, this question was um, I'm salary sacrificing the max into superannuation. Am I better to invest in ETFs after tax instead? But maybe if you just give us some of the general considerations around the 
in super, out of super. Yeah. So, the very generic response is, well, what's the goal? You know, what's the goal? What's the objective? The biggest advantage of super is tax. So, by salary sacrificing, that money is going into your super um, and not being taxed at your marginal tax rate. Uh, that's going to have huge compounding impact again over the long term. So, again, you know, we are having conversations with our members that are not retiring for 30 years, 40 years about making small contributions into their super. The downside is obviously you can't touch that until you inevitably retire. So, our approach is one of diversification and not just looking – when I refer to diversification, I'm not just talking about asset class like oh, international shares versus Australian equities versus property, but it's also about considering – putting additional funds into super, considering an education bond, considering, um, you know, your traditional exchange rate of funds, stock portfolio, considering property. So, big advocate of looking at making considerable additional contributions to super, particularly referencing that first home super saver scheme where there's caps and caveats to this. So, look into it. But though, if you're looking to purchase your first property, you could salary sacrifice and then subsequent and get the tax advantages and then subsequently take out a portion of those funds to go to towards your first home. But if you're going to the effort of making additional contributions to super, make sure you understand what you're investing in. So, this is another thing that I see somewhat regularly. So, people have heard, yep, awesome. I want to make more contributions to super. This is going to help me over the long term. Those contributions are being invested. What's it being invested in? What's the performance of the portfolio? What fees are you being charged? I love the fact that we've gone to the effort to be conscious and and put additional funds in, make sure you understand what those funds are being invested in. All right. Well, next we're going to move to uh, some investing questions and the classic, should I pay off my mortgage debt or invest more in shares? But first, we're just going to take a very quick break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. All right. Well, welcome back. Uh, we're with Glenn from Fox and Hair, and uh, this is our Ask an Advisor episode. You can hit us up at uh, ask at equitymates.com for future questions. But let's get into the investing questions for today. The first one, Glenn, is I'm earning decent money and trying to figure out my investing philosophy. That's a good one. What should I think about? Uh Good question. So, investing philosophy is a very broad uh, a, a broad, broad kind of spectrum. Uh, what, what are we trying to achieve? I'm always going to circle back to goals. But in terms of the philosophy, my, I think, I mean, I can answer that by sharing my philosophy. Yeah. And, and that is one of, I love property. I'm invested in real property. I love investing in the stock market. I'm investing in the stock market. I'm also really conscious of what my soup is doing. And every single investment decision I make, I'm conscious of the tax implications. So, it is a, it is a 
broad spectrum and um, it, it's in, and it evolves, right? So ask me 18 months ago, I would have not considered things like a term deposit or a high interest savings account. I'd be like, whatever, 2%, that ain't going to get me far where, when inflation is what it is. However, fast forward, you know, I can get 5.5% in a high interest savings account and I know that, that I'm, that's a guaranteed return. Yeah. Um, I put money in my offset account. I think my interest rate's around 6%. I know that I'm not going to that, – that's going to save me 6% in interest. And just a quick one on that, something that often gets overlooked, I think, is the fact that if you've got money in a high-interest savings account generating that, that 5.5%, you then subsequently have to pay tax on that interest. Uh, however, you've got funds in the offset account offsetting 6%, you're not actually receiving that 6% interest, it's reducing how much interest you have to pay. And the, the, the double win on that is because you're not actually receiving that money, you're not then subsequently paying tax on that money. So, offset, offset accounts are much more powerful than what they were, again, two years ago. If I was offsetting 2%, I, I, I wouldn't be that excited but if i'm offsetting six percent that's that's a very different scenario if we however then broaden that to look at the longer term trajectory of different asset class i also will be investing irregularly into the stock market as well um so it's it it is it is a very balanced act um and a a balanced play um but it's always about looking and this is something we do a lot with our members is looking at projections so if i stick to this strategy if i stick to this philosophy say where am i going to be in five years time what does that look like and if that picture isn't what i thought it would be then working understanding well what do i need to then change now in order to drive towards and create a different scene yeah Let's get to the the question that we always get asked. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those with a mortgage, should I prioritize paying off my mortgage faster and putting more money into the offset account or should I be investing it in the stock market, I should clarify? So, where, where we're at now, where interest rates are, I, I definitely think there needs to be, I don't think, I know there needs to be much more focus on debt uh, because of, you know, paying six, six and a half percent. Whereas, if you look at, um, if you look at investing in the stock market, you could even just, you know, like passive index funds, if you look over the long term, you could argue you might outperform that, that six percent or six and a half percent, but the outperformance is much less than what it was not that, not that long ago. Again, I want to challenge that just paying off debt, although it's not a bad strategy, it is a fairly conservative one as well. So, if you're in your early 30s and your whole focus is just keeping as much money in that offset account as possible and paying down that debt, you've got to then think, okay, well, if you're then going to be debt-free in 10, 15 years, then what? Do you start then investing then? Um, so it's about, I, I genuinely do believe it's about having a balanced approach and understanding if I continue on this current trajectory, where am I going to be? Yeah, I think that's an important one. Like you don't want to leverage yourself so much that you can't continue to build build wealth outside of your house. Correct. Because I think then you're just seriously concentrated. Well, yeah, then, then <laughs> yeah. if you're 40 and you've paid off your mortgage, you're not liquid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then what happens? Then you start investing, and no, I then feel you like sell that, your house. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and if it's your home, tax free. But um, if yeah, it's a really good call out. Like if you turn forty and you're debt free, you've you've kind of missed out on the opportunity of establishing that regular investment strategy or putting additional funds into super that could have saved you tens of thousands of dollars in tax. Um, There's just so much to think about. I know. Anyway, that's probably <laughs> anyway. the <this> episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
a couple to go. So what are the steps to set up a family trust and invest through it? So um, the first point of contact would be engaging the accountant. So we work, I'm an accountant by trust. So can we take a step back before we get into the practicalities of it? Sure. Like pros and cons of family trust? Like, is it something that we should be thinking about? Bryce has a fair bit of wealth tied up in the Caymans. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, I said not on air. (laughs) But yeah, like, is it worth it? And then how do we do it, mate? Yeah, good good question. So um, is it worth it? So... it depends on your circumstances. So, the, the, to determine if it's worth it is to understand the costs of running these things. So, it is going to set you back a couple of grand just to set up a family trust before you get started. Um, and it's also going to need to lodge its own tax return uh, on an annual basis. So, uh, and there's the potential for audits and things like that. So, there's a lot of costs, kind of not too dissimilar to a self-managed super fund, right? Like, um, there's, there's costs of running these different types of structures. In terms of how to set it up, so the first point of contact would be the accountant to actually do the, the, the practical side of things. In terms of where we get involved, so we work really cl- with our members that do have a family trust or are considering a family trust, we'll obviously work very closely with their accountant. The main advantage, uh, there's probably two key kind of call outs. So first, uh, for business owners, a lot of business owners do have family trusts because they're, they're trying to quarantine their business wealth from their personal wealth. So if something were to happen in the business, then the, the, there's a disconnect between the business and you know their family home. So there's there's a degree of asset protection. The second, which is certainly something that that we talk to, is the tax advantages. The way that the structure works is uh, you can distribute the income that's generated from the investments within that family trust to the beneficiaries. So if you're distributing that income, so say you're generating I don't know ten thousand dollars of income per year through the trust you can distribute that income to a lower income earning beneficiary as opposed to the higher income earning beneficiary. So, there's a bit more flexibility in terms of how you allocate that income. And obviously, allocating it to the lower income earner essentially means that income will be taxed at their marginal tax rate. They're on the lower marginal tax rate. And the end effect is the, I guess the household then inevitably pays less tax. Yeah. But in terms of we would only really consider a family trust, one, if there's one already established because there's there's a business involved. So, there's one established, you're paying the cost, you may as well utilize it more broadly. Two, if there is a, um, there's probably, probably needs to be a couple of hundred grand before these things really start, in my view, start to, to, to make sense from a purely from a cost perspective. So, final question we got through from the Equitymates community. This is another very common one. Um, who is the best stockbroker to go with when you want to do a set and forget index fund investing strategy? So, they're talking about, um, I'm assuming they're talking about um, like a platform yeah, to, yeah. To, to use. So, I will mention names. This is not advice, but um, one that we see a lot of people use that are mem- many of the listeners would be familiar with is Raise. So, that's a platform, obviously, micro-investing, funds go in. So, it's a good, I, I'm, I've got a little bit of a love-hate relationship with Raise. Okay. So, I, I love, um, if anyone from Raise is listening, um, I love the fact that it's got people um, engaged active, with yeah. investing and active yeah. in investing that, um, that, that's felt it's not available or accessible to them. So, I love that Raise has made that, um, that accessible. The challenge that I have with that is more often than not, for those that are invested in Raise, they don't know what they're actually invested in. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I, I think there's a missed opportunity there from from the team at Raise to really educate their customers in terms of what is the underlying investment, what companies are they actually invested in, how do you make money from from this thing. So, a uh, bit of a love hate. Some of the, the there's some really cost effective um, platforms. So I believe Vanguard just bought out a um, personal investor platform. Yeah, yeah. So you you know looking at that kind of traditional passive index. I believe I haven't researched it myself but i believe it's fairly low low cost as well yeah so that that's certainly one that that comes front of mind nice nice well glenn thank you so much covered a lot of ground there and thank you to the equity mates community for sending in all of those questions uh, a reminder ask at equitymates.com and uh, we'll make sure that we include your questions in the next episode we also have a weekly email that uh, we answer one of the community questions. We actually get the advisor to answer, so Glenn will be coming up with that if, uh, if not already. So make sure you're uh, subscribed to that. You can do that at our website, equitymates.com. Uh, Glenn, if anyone listening has uh, really enjoyed what you've had to say, where can they go to find more info on Fox and Hair and uh, a bit about what you guys do? Yeah, the easiest place would just check out our website, foxandhair.com.au. Uh, proud certified B Corp as well for the listeners that, that are across what that certification means. So, yeah, happy to have a chat to anyone. I'm really conscious that advice can be uh, feel like it's just for old rich people um, where we're breaking that notion. Nice. Love it. And you did say the first meeting was free? Yeah. Earlier? Happy yeah. to have a chat with yeah. anyone. For it, it, the first meeting is really about just understanding where you're at, what you're looking for, and sharing with you a little bit more about us. Great. Nice. No obligations. Check it out. Now, uh, uh, every year here at Equity Mates, we have an expert of the year competition or mm. guest of the year. And it really is just a, a chance for us to celebrate everyone who gave their time and came on the podcast and shared their knowledge. Now, as a guest of the podcast, you're automatically in the running. Love that. Uh, so, as a final <laughs> question, can you leave us today with uh, maybe a piece of advice or a content recommendation or something we should go and do and implement in our financial lives? Just one thing uh, to leave us and everyone listening with. I'm quite competitive, so I'm really hoping this is a good answer. <laughs> think about so think about the question that I asked and I ask in that that first chat with everybody. And that question is, how would you rate your overall financial world? And then think about whatever your answer is, think about what's going to then enable you to move forward. You know, really setting yourself up for the future is, is, is about making really conscious decisions and that can be really overwhelming. So, simply break it down. If you're a six like Bryce, Bryce's homework is to then go away, think about what's going to get him to a seven uh, and then implement that. Nice. Love it. Love it. Well, well, you've got well good ask, luck. What, what would you rate yourself out of 10? True. Oh. <laughs> um, I, um, I would rate myself probably about a seven. Okay. Um, not because it's just more than Bryce, but um, <laughs> because because I'm across everything. Um, but there's just a lot of moving parts, so there's just always something to, that 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 needs to be done. Um, so it's constantly looking at okay, well, this is we just bought a house, you know, two two months ago. Okay, what? How do we? How does that work with the considerable amount more debt we've got? Um, so yeah, probably about a seven, and just constantly reevaluating. A good reminder that even uh, professionals are still figuring it out. And, yeah, you know, still, it's a journey. Yeah, 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 it's a journey. Well, thank you so much, Glenn. We really enjoyed that. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. 
This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.